Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Sidelines. I'm here with my main man, Az. How are you, buddy? I'm going good, Cordo. How about yourself? I'm good. And we have a special guest. Our first guest. Yes. Identify yourself, young man. Hey, Ash here. Uh, good to be here, the inaugural guest of the wonderful Sidelines podcast. I'm a little bit nervous and I, I think I'm going to be giving Cordo a bit of a, a bit of a headache in post-production, but we'll see how we go. <laughs> Nothing like some you know, headaches in post-production, which is what I normally do. So yeah. it's good to share the mantle. Yeah. I like that. Exactly. I love sitting late at night editing out uh, blips <laughs> and glitches here and there. You say that, but you love it. Ash, how have you been, buddy? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Just loving the home office experience at the moment, as I'm sure most of us are. Yeah. Um, yeah. All in lockdown all over again. Yeah, it's quite a quite a commute for me. Uh, I knock off work and I travel all of one meter to the couch to uh, stare at another screen. It's good, isn't it? I love that one to two meter travel. It really makes you appreciate, you know, if you've got to travel any further than that for the day and just, I don't know, I'm loving it up. I love it. Yeah, couch to bed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been uh, another, I won't say massive week in sport. It's been a little bit of a drip in sport. That would probably be more accurate. I've had bits and bobs here and there. Um as always, we should probably cover our national pastime, the AFL. Uh, Aaron, Ash, you are both bombers men, both bombers men of the world. It would only be fair for me to ask you all what you thought of the tribunal's decision to suspend Dylan Shield for two weeks. Oh, it's a classic retribution for the whole COVID scandal. They had to get someone. Again, the, it continues on. We're just getting absolutely shafted. Yeah, that's right. We are, it's no, it's no, you know, secret that the AFL and the media hate Essendon for whatever reason. I don't know what it was. The drug scandals? <laughs> no, alleged. <laughs> it's all the premierships have won. They still hold a grudge. <laughs> but no, it's been pretty rubbish to see the whole the bump incident is back. I mean, it rears its ugly head what once every two and a half months, sometimes two or three times in one weekend. So the the long episode with St Kilda. Yeah, it really is just uh, who know you actually when you see it in game, it's probably a big flaw that you don't actually know straight away how long anybody is out for. There's too many variables involved, and like, what's the point? You're just literally guessing. Sometimes it's zero, sometimes it's six weeks. You just hope that your player just actually punches someone out, so then you got some, you know, you know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And it's the it's always the slow mo that makes any bump. It's like, oh, you've decided to bump in the slow mo. You've actually got five seconds to make that decision but in real time it happened so fast and up until that point Dylan Shield was actually he was not having a great game uh, Luke McDonald was all over him um, and how often do you see a player's trying to get into the game and trying to get physical yeah know. that's a good point it's and it's like it's take it, we've got this into this shocking habit where we watch slow motion footage of someone and we completely ignore the real time speed that those decisions are made. Like, you're spot on. Like, we sit there and go, he decided to bump. He decided to do this. He decided to tuck his elbow in. No, in a split second, he saw someone there and decided to smoke him because it's a physical contact game. The only decision I can make that quickly is if I'm having that chicken nugget. And the answer is yes. <laughs> Anything else, they, you know, they try to like to, again, they try to bring a bit of a narrative that they've decided and the, the slow-mo wrecks any type of, Decision-making abilities with it. I just get sad for the game. The bump's dead. 
Like we all grew up on just those classic hits. Yeah. We're judging the action, not not the result. Mm. So I, I can't even remember who got bumped, but he, he went off for five, ten minutes, got checked, and he actually played out the game. But yeah. that's the other thing too. They sit there and go, you know, it happened to, I remember it last year, is, you know, someone someone bumps Joel Selwood and he doesn't go off because he's Joel Selwood and they're like, he doesn't get a week. But if you bump someone else and they get a concussion, again, that's bad. I'm not saying that's not bad. Then they instantly are going to get three weeks. So it's really just waiting for the punishment or the and then retrospectively adding it to it, which is just annoying. Well, you got like... You know, Sean Darcy, Frio Ruckman. So Ben Long got, what, three weeks? And he absolutely wiped Sean Darcy's head off. Yeah, so that looked bad. Like that was a pre, that was a premeditated, made the choice to bump, wiped his head out. He didn't come back on. I mean, they're saying he's going to play in the derby against the Eagles, but then I saw the Frio team sheet tonight and our second or third string Ruckman's been named in extended bench. So where there's smoke, there's fire. But he got three weeks. So what your logic is, like two weeks to three weeks, it just doesn't make sense anymore. It feels like they're just winging it and making it up as they go, right? That's right. And I, I don't know if you covered that. Well, obviously, this is the Essendon coming out, but the Zach Merritt hit on Silvani, Jack Silvani, two weeks earlier. Mm. Um, just a chase down tackle, just a regular sort of clip. Got him in the back, sort of above the kidney, back of the rib or whatever. 99 times out of 100, that's nothing. But only because Silvani got hurt and didn't play again. Merritt gets suspended. So they suspended him on the injury, the output. Yeah. Whereas Shield gets done on the action. So I wonder if you could go on the tribunal as Zach Merritt and be like, look, Your Honor, Stephen Silvani didn't have a huge rig, but he was a bad man. He was a tough motherfucker. He's gone against like monsters like Sav Rocker back in the day, your Dunstalls, your Tony Lockett's. He was beast mode. His kids, they're bitches. So like... <laughs> Let's be real. These two hats are embarrassing their dad's surname. So how do you plead, Zach? I plead bullshit. <laughs> so my fault he's a little bitch. <laughs> like surely that's got to stack up. And that's why like Ben Long hit Sean Darcy. I mean, Sean Darcy's nickname, I don't know if he knows this, but people call him Hodor. Like he's a monster. <laughs> he's like your classic country Victorian boy who probably lifted logs instead of dumbbells. So Ben Long knocking him out of the game, that would have killed one of the Silvani kids. Hmm. Oh, it's just, they need to fix it. Like, it's just frustrating to sort of see it. it. To me, it brings back the fact that we don't actually have any sort of instant um, ability to take somebody out of the game for an instant action. So, if he's out for the game for the concussion, then, you know, you sit there and say, oh, he's sin-binned. He's been yellow-carded. Because yeah. that's it. Like, you're impacting that game. Like, two or three weeks off doesn't really help the team that's now out. So... I'm more in that sort of camp where they should do an instant sort of instant feedback. You know, the bump, you know, does he come back? Does he not come back? Well, look, it, you know, it raises more questions on how you actually manage it. And then, you know, you know someone's going to game it like a Hawthorne or if Bill Belichick suddenly starts coaching an AFL side and it's like, take the hit. Take the hit, you're out. Like, that's, yeah. their, that's their main on baller. You're going down. And it has, um, there's like a dangerous flowing effect. Like, again, Frio. Darcy goes down in, I think it was the second quarter. Hayden Young had gone down to their other defender. Rory Lobb clearly did something to his ankle in the third or fourth quarter. And you can see then the club's forced to keep him on. So he's hobbling because they've got no other ability. And then you go, okay, if Darcy isn't out of the game, do they then ice off Lobb 
and put him in, you know, put him off, don't make him play. So then there's that knock-on effect of, you know, now he's probably in doubt this week. So there's that risk to other players too. Um, anyway, speaking of making shit up on the go, the fixtures. <laughs> We're now doing, it looks like having some like festival of football where there'll be a game every day for like three weeks. Yeah, that's right. It is really like, you got to give some credit where credit's due. Like they are playing some serious dartboard action in the AFL headquarters. They're just like, what are we, what are we doing? What are we going for here? And someone's just like in the back corner of the room going, let's just play 33 in a row. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and Gil's like, yes. And he's like, what do you mean? Yes. I was taking the piss. Yeah. The AFL is now the QFL, the Queensland <laughs> Football League. Yeah, they're really loving that. Suddenly they're fans. Yeah, well, suddenly Queenslanders are pretending to give a shit about AFL, which is amusing. You yeah, got their... yeah, I heard today, I think it's the Premier was saying, you know, imploring Queenslanders to adopt the Victorian teams. Like, yeah, we like football. Football, yay. They uh, want to have the Brownlow medal there. Come on, guys, just... Just chill. Nothing says a red carpet like 34 degree heat and 98% humidity. Every, all the girls just sweating the house down on the red carpet as they come in. I feel like it ended up just being like an episode of like Bachelor in Paradise or something. They just do it on the beach and everyone's in like bikinis and all this sort of weird shit. And they're just like, oh, so it turns out you've uh, won the Brownlow. What? Yeah. Yeah, you have. Fev's there to like molest people in the crowd and make them uncomfortable live on air. As is tradition. <laughs> Juddy's there just doing a pressure point to Beck on the beach. <laughs> chicken wing. <laughs> the chicken wing. Do you legitimately think that the grand final is a chance to, I mean, all things being equal, that in two weeks' time it could be, you know, full-blown convona life um, here in Vic or New South Wales or South Australia, but do you think Queensland, they'd let them do it? Have the grand final in yeah. Queensland. Yeah, I mean, the AFL's trying to say they're going to hold off on making a firm decision, but it looks like they've kind of said it will be in Queensland. Uh, there's a, I mean, I don't understand that logic. Well, the thing is, if you know, Victoria's in the hurt lock at the moment with the uh, COVID cases. I don't know if, how you can make you can lock in the grand final this early when you can't even lock in the next round. Yeah, so. And, like, who's going to be in the grand final? We've got Brisbane up and about, Port Adelaide. Like, how can Brisbane host the grand final? If Imagine if it was Port, you know, West Coast got their act together suddenly and it was, you know, West Coast, Port, and we're going to do it in Brisbane when WA's like, hey, we've been fine. We've got Optus. Yeah. We've got a world-class stadium. We'll actually sell it out, guaranteed. We've got the corporate facilities because the Gabba does not have the corporate facilities well, see, to keep up. That, that's actually, like, to be fair, that's the big underpin of... Like why, one of the other big reasons why the AFL doesn't want it not at the MCG because the amount of corporate money that goes through. I mean, they make the joke every year that there's like, what, 20, 30% of fans actually go to the grand final. Yeah. But the amount of run through of the boxes and all that sort of stuff, they ain't getting that up in Brizzy. Well, the AFL runs Metricon, I believe, is my understanding. Or they've got some sort of administrative control over Metricon. So then I'm thinking, imagine if they don't have it at the Gabba and they have it at Metricon because they're shamelessly just trying to keep the costs down. I mean, that would be my logic. That and like even maybe something stupid as a time zone. Like they want the time zone of Queensland versus WA. 
Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Definitely. Um, but then, you know, they get to have their little nighttime grand final, theoretically, when it's, you know, finishes at 7 p.m. in that, Melbourne. They just don't want to do it. No. Well, it's pushing later and later into the year. So we're talking late October. Who knows? It could be mid-November, late November by the time we get there. So yeah. suddenly we are looking at daylight savings, warmer weather. It's yeah. the twilight grand final that people have been chasing. And I can tell you as an, a sand groper from WA, yeah, our summers are hot, but at least they aren't fucking humid. Enjoy Queensland <laughs> in, in October or November for your grand final. When you've got like your little precious Melbourne teams, they're all just going to start collapsing in that kind of heat. You just had to look at the game, Essendon again. I'm sorry, everyone. Um, Essendon North Melbourne um, playing at Metricon and they were basically treating it as a wet weather game. The amount of dew and condensation on the on the ground. They were yeah. basically playing with a wet ball. Well, do you see the Frio guys at training? They had these like green wheelie bins. They were filling them up with water and throwing the balls in them before training. So they're greasing the footies up to train to get used to the conditions. There's also that big difference between the yellow balls and the red balls too, which I don't like talking about. Yeah, I felt like I should keep that under wraps. I mean, I got my hands on enough of both. So, hey, it doesn't affect me. <laughs> I've spent a lot of my life playing with blue balls as well. but <laughs> See, they're too smooth. You can't handle them properly. So Eddie was talking about, I don't know if it was like pre-worn balls or like even just sort of <laughs> talking about balls. <laughs> <laughs> I love pre-worn balls. Tell us all about your pre-worn balls, Ash. <laughs> just sanding them back a bit so they're already, they're already ready, sort of match-worn. That's what they do with the cricket balls. It's like, oh, yeah, this ball is 20, 20 30 overs old. Sandpaper, they use those on the balls. <laughs> Too soon. Cam Bancroft. <laughs> so you're all is forgiven because you play for the Scorchers in the BBL. All right, last topic on footy. I know it's probably too early to call it, but who are our who do we think's firming for the GF? Because it's actually I think it's actually a really close season, hilariously. I mean it's it is actually interesting. It really is just whoever the hell is gonna luck out and just Ask themselves through backwards through some games. Um, I'd say Richmond are nowhere, which is great. And this 33 games in however long, I'm looking forward to Richmond completely cracking it because they can't, I don't know, look at photos of their family in picture frames. I don't know what it is they're complaining about now. They're always complaining about something. Um, but look, the, to be honest, the away teams are favourites. I mean, the traditional non-Victorians. Like Brisby, Brisbane are right up there. Port are like, you know, bit of a sneaky. So, mm. I don't know, I reckon Brisbane Port. And I'm never going to say Bombers because we will fade. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to get my hopes up with the Dons. But, um, yeah, it is an interesting season when you consider, you know, you're gearing up, you do your pre-season, so you've got your Richmonds and your Collingwoods, you know, normal preparation. And suddenly you've got three months off football. So the door's wide open for a Smokey to come in and grab it. I mean, you're only playing each other once and you, you're potentially only playing at two or three grounds altogether now in a bubble. And I've only got to look at what happened to West Coast. You know, they they have struggled for whatever reason. And I can only think maybe it's it's the homesick, it's the family thing. You look at West Coast, they've got old well, they've got actually a lot of parents. So a team like Essendon, Port Adelaide, there's actually not like there's only one parent, um, yeah. Jake Stringer at Essendon. So you've just got a bunch of kids in yeah. the bubble, they'll be loving it. There's no distractions back home. Yep. So a team like that, a team like Port Adelaide, Brisbane already at home. Um, yeah, I just think it really sets the scene for something out of left field to happen. And you've got to look at Richmond and Collingwood struggling. Who knows? Brings me joy. 
injuries permitting, I'm going to say Geelong. What? Yep. <laughs> I'm calling it the Gaz Man. Little Gaz is going to drag him to the big dance. He's amazing. Like, I've been saying it for years. I know a lot of people don't like him. I love him. I watch him. He is the most dangerous dude 50 to 60 metres out from goal with the footy in his hand running with the ball. He is elite. Do you think they've got enough elsewhere? Yeah. Like, I mean, if Danger Selwood and Gaz are fit, guys like Guthrie, Duncan, I think they're, like, their midfield is off the chain. They're dangerous. Um, it's they're also their last chance too, right? Like they're going to go to rebuild mode at the end of this season for sure. Could be outlandish. Maybe I'm just shamelessly wishing for like a good fairy tale ending to the season. And yeah. I can't stand West Coast. Anyone that knows me knows that. So I really don't want someone like West Coast to just start humming and make it. Yeah, I so would have just notched 300, 350. You've got Hawkins, Harry Taylor. It does seem like another potential end of an year at Geelong. The last dance. Whoa. The last. When was the last time you saw Hawkins play a good game? I, I never. No. <laughs> <laughs> Probably against Essendon. No, I'm just trolling you. No, no. I, I genuinely I, I, have, I have no idea who's going to make the grand final. I hate you. I was just trying to see if I could get you to take the bait, but you didn't. Well played. Yeah, I know. Don't worry. I'm like just about to elbow it in the face and just own it. Well, I also think this is like the last year for a non-GWSE Gold Coasty team to win it because I still look at the Gold Coast GWS list and I could see them winning the next like 10 flags. Just the depth that they've got and the talent loaded in those teams. GWS, I think their injuries have held them back the last few years. They just lose those key dudes. But then it's scary how like Coniglio goes down and then in comes Callan Ward. Like it's ridiculous how much depth they have. Guys like Perryman are starting to just go gangbusters. Good team. Yeah, they're a very good team. All right. The basketball is starting to get real when you see the Instagram shots of the players rolling in in their masks, in their Louis Vuitton tracksuits and luggage, looking like rappers showing up at a concert, like even though they're in Disneyland. How sad, like... I don't really enjoy Instagram that much, but how sad would you have been if Instagram didn't exist for this one sole purpose right now to watch NBA players rock up to a bubble and just be filming each other doing... Like, they're in a situation they're never going to be in again and it's fantastic and I love it. I think I saw Embiid in a like a full biohazard get up. (laughs) Yeah. Joel Embiid looking like this sort of like outbreak, like Hollywood style movie just in that hazmat suit. Oh. But then, like, for me, it's like, you know, JR's got to be wearing a GoPro. Well, JR Smith reading the menu out on social media, oh. like, that just made it all worthwhile for me. Just getting excited at, like, the puddings on his menu. A true, you've got the two ends of the NBA bubble stick. You've got the guys who are just living it up. They're just, like, taking it all the way, laughing, Instagram feeds. And then you've, you're you going to have the serious guys who I don't think would, like... You know, Kawhi and LeBron and Giannis, I don't think, like, that's not their comfort zone at all. Mm. They don't want to be in a room and it's just like, you, know, you can just picture, like, someone making noise and they're, like, banging on the wall, like, shut up, I'm trying to meditate. 
No, I saw shit. Well, you would have seen the other night, J- Jimmy Butler's or the security got a phone, like a noise complaint and went and knocked on a door at like whatever time in the middle of the night. And it was Jimmy Butler and he was working out, sweating the house down, dribbling <laughs> basketballs in his room. <laughs> Just doing Jimmy Butler things. So he's already getting like the cops called on him for making noise. I, I think guys like LeBron might struggle with it. Like even the younger guys, or it's got this like kind of college school camp vibe to it. But the dudes that are living in like thirty bedroom homes with kids, it's going to be a bit weird. Yeah, it's just I don't know that it's sort of similar. To, I mean, in a very lesser scale, the teams that and the players who don't just embrace it instantly, they're going to like choke. Like it's what West Coast did. I mean, it's a great example, just far less. But you know, the NBA teams, like if. You know, they don't enjoy it, then they're just going to bomb out. But then at the same time, you just know that some of those teams are just going to do what it is and go out there and be like, this is our chance to win a one-of-a-kind year. And they get to play. They're not just sitting in their rooms hanging out. They're training a heap again. Like all I see is them on the court. Mm. It'd be fascinating to see whether the old bodies struggle with the like topsy-turvy rhythm of the season or whether the old bodies just it's they're like rested and primed like is lebron a, a mustang at the start line humming or is he just like the duct tape holding it together because the rhythm's just way out of whack you um, can, yeah you can see it go either way for a lot of them the anonymous hotline that they set up for people that don't know they set up an anonymous hotline for you to basically snitch on people if they're breaking the the protocols in the bubble apparently the hotline has been just Buzzing, <laughs> countless phone calls. Ash, would you snitch on people if you're in that bubble? Nah, totally not. I'd probably be. I'd be probably be part of it. <laughs> As, yeah, but I'd try to see what I could get out of it. I'd just like you'd want to. Te- you just got to test it out because it'd be funny, and you want to be like, oh yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just ringing up because I think I saw Ash doing some stuff. Okay, so what's your name? There? Oh, it's Courts. It's definitely Courts. And they're like, are you sure? Because the number you're calling on isn't his number. And he's with us right now. I'm sorry, I gotta hang up. <laughs> My name's Chris. Chris P. No, I've said too much. C. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> yeah, Chris Paul. He's he's like everyone's sitting there going, "This is his time. Yeah. This is his time to just own it." And that like he's just ringing up all the time. But I don't know. At this point, you just can't even do it. CB3 is like modern day Gary Payton. Like Gary Payton would have been on the phone all the time if he was in that situation. CB3 is probably definitely snitching. Uh, if I was in there, I'd snitch on everyone. I wouldn't care. I want to win. Well, that's right. Who's policing these things? Like, uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Giannis, Giannis definitely saw him at KFC. I'd do lure snitching. Like, hey, man, you want to like go for a stroll like outside? I'll meet you out there. And then just stay in my hotel room, snitch. Hey, look, he's outside waiting. Done. Well, don't they have those weird rings as well? Have you seen those? Oh, like to get into different areas? No, I think it's... I thought it was... um. Like temperature tracking and stuff. I could be wrong, but you know, I'm fairly confident they had a, a ring on and um, it sort of monitors their, their vitals as such. But that wouldn't surprise me if they just snuck in the old GPS in there and then just, you know, just see what's going on to validate any phone calls. Well, I can't remember who the player was. Some player put out like on Twitter or something saying, hey guys, it's okay to order food and pick it up at the gate. And then Rashawn Holmes, like two hours later, got busted and is now had to quarantine for two weeks. Yeah, well, I saw saw that one, and then there was like, there's a whole bunch of just random like 
Instagram, like yeah. biddies just like, I've already been invited. Yeah. Like, there's the- <laughs> it's like, okay. It's like, by who? Oh, all the NBA players. It's just like, okay. Like I got asked to play for eight NBA teams too, but you know, I can't back that up with any type of facts. <laughs> yeah. The thirsty girls are coming out of the woodwork. I just want a bit of me time. Or it's an elite snitch tactic. You know what I mean? Like I was saying before, the setup snitch. Like you ring her and say, hey, it's me, LeBron. <laughs> Come to my room, baby. LeBron James. Yeah. The dead giveaway, though, is if it's Kawhi on the phone, you would hear like, remember when your mobile phone used to be near like the speaker or the modem? You'd hear that clicking sound like Kawhi's CPU would be messing with the phone lines. Like, <laughs> so they'd know it was Kawhi on the other end. Until he gives it away with that creepy laugh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good. But are you look are you looking forward to the NBA coming back? Like will you be actively watching and just to sort of see like, you know, if the ship goes through? Ash. Well, I'm a Knicks fan, so I'm not actively watching it anyway. <laughs> I think novelty factor for me. Like I wanna see what it's like with no crowd. Yeah. We've talked about it. Like I wanna hear the like stomping on the floorboards and yeah, how are they going to stop like hearing all the trash talk that's going to happen? I think no. it'd be great to hear different things, which probably picked up a bit on the on the uh, AFL as well early when they had no co- uh, crowd noise or whatever they were pumping in. But you really start hearing different players and what their roles are and how some of them are definitely more generals and some of them are bit parts and how they actually get the ball and whatnot. So like, you know, the top point guards, you know, I can't really picture... Uh, Westbrook really dictating where people to go on a play. He's just getting it and he's just throwing down a dunk. Yeah. Whereas someone like, you know, literally your CP3s, um, Lillard's, you know, I know Curry's not in there, but it'd be great to see just some of those point guards and hear them calling out the plays and dictating how it's going to go down. That's like, you're never going to see that again. Yeah, that's a good point. Imagine JR doing that fuck up. On LeBron's team in the bubble where the microphones are there. Oh, Lord have mercy. That would be good footage. YouTube's greatest watch video of all time in one day. I wonder if the NBA is going, right, we need to turn the on-court mics down because this could end badly. Or they're going, this is a good angle for like hype and coverage and a way to make the most of it. Turn the microphones up. Hype. Yeah. Hype it up. Like, I want to hear Westbrook abusing everyone. I mean, to be fair, the comeback now is, well, you've got COVID. But <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's a bold line. I, I You could not pay me enough money to talk shit to Russell Westbrook on a basketball court. No, nah, I think I'm steering clear of that. Because if he doesn't posterize you back in the game to get revenge, he's probably jumping you in the car park afterwards for trying to embarrass him in public. You've got that vibe, Russell. Yeah, I'll put you on a poster one way or another. Yes, yeah, correct. Either a, a basketball poster or a, there is a memorial for this man's life next week. Please come along after he died in a tragic accident. So, lads, the other sport that came back in a big way on yeah. the weekend, UFC Fight Island. Fight Island, baby. So I want you two to take me on a bit of the journey because as we've discussed a few times, my UFC knowledge is limited. <laughs> limited to Connor fights and any other good fight that you 
asked me to come to where I get to have beers in the pub, but I can't really do that anymore. So the Fight Island, I don't understand. Like, take me through it. Is it the bubble? Is it just UFC bubble? Yeah. I mean, I'll, like, I take pride in the fact that I feel like I got Ash more hardcore into the UFC. Would that be fair? 100%. Uh, the local Port Melbourne a couple of years ago was a, I think it was uh, McGregor Diaz 2. Yes. Was my first ever USC fight and I loved it. The infamous Connor coming back after a loss and grabbing the microphone before Joe Rogan had asked him a question going, surprise, surprise, the king is back, motherfucker. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, so Fight Island, let me take you back on a journey. I'll take you back, back in time to the beginning of COVID <laughs> when, when everything got locked down and Dana White came out and said, I'm going to find an island and we're going to have UFC events on it. Now, I don't know whether he was being genuine and he was always planning on doing it or whether he was being a bit outlandish, but then it became such a thing that he was like had to desperately go and make it happen. But long story short, the UFC has purpose built an arena on Yaz Island in Abu Dhabi where no fans, spectators are allowed and it's effectively like cordoned off for them to hold UFC events. So they had the pay-per-view on the weekend. They had a fight night this morning. I think there's another one on the weekend. There might be a fourth one too. So they're jamming all their events in. The main purpose is so international fighters could compete given the lockdowns for travel in all the different countries. So the international guys couldn't get into the US. So that's why over the weekend you had like Jose Aldo and Petr Jan fighting, so you got a Russian, a Brazilian, Alex Volkanovsky, the Aussie fighting Holloway, the Hawaiian, um, you know, Jorge Masvidal and Usman ended up in the main event. They're both from the US, but um, yeah, it was amazing. Like, it's weirdly a sport where no, like having a crowd is great, but not having a crowd's kind of brought on like a really cool different element where you're hearing everything. I mean, you're hearing the kicks in a lot more vicious manner, but you're in the corner, like advice and feedback. And there's like a real grittiness to it without a crowd. Like it is like you're watching two dudes smash it out in a warehouse. Um, but the most, like, I think the coolest thing about it is the, this is why I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant. I, this is why I tell everyone the UFC is better than boxing. Boxing was like the thing back in the day. Like, if you want to prove your manhood, boxing was a thing. Like, we, Muhammad Ali is, I mean, find me another athlete apart from Michael Jordan. Who doesn't know Muhammad Ali? Like, the man is yeah. exalted. He's almost like mythical. You know, there's that like unspoken, that dude could beat anyone in a fight. Then you got Mike Tyson, the sort of undisputed slash we all probably would accept he's the most dangerous human being that's ever lived in the last however many hundred years. That's probably true of today. Have you seen him lately? Yeah, he's like 50 years old or whatever doing like workouts. And he's, he's jacked. He's, he's jacked. And he still hits like a, he hits like a fucking wasp on roids. Like, have you seen his quads? <laughs> his quads are my entire body. And that's just one goddamn leg. Like, he's he, thick. He's a, yeah, we talked about it like, thick boy. He is a thick boy athlete. Ooh. His, uh, his speed and power is scary. I feel like if he hit you hard enough, he could physically knock you into another dimension. Like He could kill me with one punch. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I can't take a punch, but he could kill me <laughs> with one punch. No, but he wouldn't just kill you. He would 
to your point, he would literally kill you and all other versions of you in other dimensions who hadn't even like seen Mike Tyson. They're like, why am I dead now? And yeah. then they get like a memo and they're like, oh, thanks, Cordo, in the main one. You took a punch from Mike Tyson. Thanks for that. Remember that Jet Li movie, The One, where he was going into other dimensions and killing like versions of himself and growing stronger? You had to go to like each dimension? Yeah, if Mike Shockingly, me- I do know that. Yes. <laughs> right. You ain't worth your action salt if you don't know that movie. That would be it. Like if he hit me in one dimension, all of a sudden like 11 other of me would die in other dimensions and no one would know why. It's like that line in that movie. I can't remember what the movie was. because I'm, I'm going to hit you so hard. I'll kill your whole family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Except with Mike, it's like, I'm sorry. I'm about to destroy you and your whole family. I apologize about it. I have nothing against them, but they're going to be. No, it's straight out of The Simpsons. At Dredrick Tatum. Yeah, Dredrick Tatum, the greatest parody of like a popular person that we know. (laughs) I'm going to orphan his children. (laughs) But my point, I I completely sidetracked. I'm not sorry about it. Mike Tyson, he becomes this thing. Boxing then I think has become like a parody of itself where so much money and so much shit, so many fingers in the pot, you can now get a belt. There's that many fucking belts. I've lost track of who's what. There's the IBO, IBA, DBC, DJK. you got boxers that are carrying like nine belts to the ring, like where they've got like their kids in the ring carrying belts behind. And you're like, where do you win that? Oh, you know, the Ukraine. Like there's all this. <laughs> everyone's a heavyweight champ. Everyone's a middleweight champ. So the sport has just become so farcical because there's that many bodies the promoters now control it. You've got guys like Floyd Mayweather, who we all know who Floyd Mayweather is, but he's 40-0, 50-0, whatever it was. But he it, like he fought that many spuds or delayed fighting great fighters like Manny Pacquiao for so long because there was no like body to control it. So my theory on the UFC is because Dana White has controlled it with an iron fist, it is the, it's pure. In the sense, you win the belt, you're fighting whoever's pecking at your heels. You're not fighting the guy that's 18 in the world. You're fighting whoever's one. And if he can't make it, we're seven you up to two. If he can't make it, we're seven you up to three. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it is really good to actually see that it's just... It's, it's no option and there's no way around it. You can't fake your way to winning in UFC. And if you do, like, great work. You've, you've got lucky a handful of fights, but it's definitely going to hurt you in the long run. That's right. You totally can't fake your way. Once you're in that octagon, there's so many disciplines you need to be across. You can't just be a striker. Yeah. Because you'll you'll hit, you'll hit a Khabib. He's got you on the floor. It's over. Yeah. Like a boa constrictor. You've got to you got to know what's going on. You got to cover off all bases. And we've got a um, another massive fight coming up soon. We've got Stipe and DC. Yeah. Heavyweight bombs. The trilogy fight too, which is so rare in the UFC. One one, DC said it. This is his last is fight. It. You got like Daniel Cormier, powerful wrestler, and Steve Miocic, who works as a firefighter, by the way. In his when he's not fighting, doesn't need to for money. His hands is like he. Someone just got chains and chained bricks to someone's hands. The complete opposite of your hands after we spoke about last week. Your hey, non-ute hands. Hey, I've recovered from that. You don't need to keep bringing that back up. I've recently started running them over gravel to toughen them up. I need to do something during the day. 
I can't talk. Like if someone touches my hands in the dark, I think they're touching like silk sheets. Like there is. <laughs> I, d- I did hear that segment, and I, as I was as I was heading here, I thought, please, can we not do the hand segment tonight? <laughs> yeah, because because Ash's hands new. over here. Yeah, we'll go easier on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> but there's gravel outside. We'll, we should all roll them in gravel on the way out, just to be hopefully smooth gravel. Don't want, don't want to like go too hard. Has anyone seen my paw paw? <laughs> <laughs> so my big question now, because this is more in my realm of knowledge, but also so you two can take me on the journey. Is there any current fighters from the last UFC Fight Island? Because like, when I heard Fight Island, it took me back to when I watched a great movie and a great game, a greater game, which was Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Because I believe there is a scene where they have a beach fight and then they have to start singing the song as is tradition that when you're in Mortal Kombat and you are in Mortal Kombat, you have to start with the songs in the background. So any of the current UC fighters a chance of making the switch to Mortal Kombat? I could go first and say Jorge Masvidal, Street Jesus, Gamebred Fighter. Mainly because, like, he grew up, he made his, like, name fighting in backyards, so he's got the grit. But he's also got these amazing highlight reel knockouts. So in terms of the whole, like, finish him, I could see, like, his finish him being the Ben Askren knockout where he flies across the screen, knees you in the head, and then taps the three count <laughs> when you're on the deck. <laughs> like, so is he, on, is he fighting for Earth or is he just, like, completely gone over to the other side and he's fighting against us? Nah, he'd fight for Earth. He's got like, he's a quality dude. You can just tell. He's got the values. He's got the Cuban background too. So he's got that like little bit of the spirituality. So it's him and, Louis Ka- him and Louis Kang are hanging out and they're yeah. saving Earth. And like he started wearing like a Scarface suit, like the white suit with the big red collars, like Al Pacino styles, like to his <laughs> press conferences. So I feel like he embraces Earth culture too much to abandon it. Okay, fair. What was the villain in Mortal Kombat? Is it Kano with the forearms? Goro. 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 I can see that being Francis. Francis and Ganu. Absolutely. Yeah. So what you have to take me again, I don't know enough names. I only know a few <laughs> names. So why is this dude Goro? So he's a massive Cameroonian, Nigerian? Yeah, he's Cameroonian. Um, Cameroonian Francis. heavyweight fighter. Uh, we were talking about him earlier. He's he's the kind of guy that would send you into another dimension if you got onto the wrong end of one of his fists. Yeah. Um, just the, he's the ultimate. He's the crazy thing. He's actually lovable, but he's the ultimate villain. When he steps into that octagon, you are in a, in a Hawthorne pub, thousands of miles away, pissing yourself because he is literally terrifying. Yeah. It's rare to find those fighters. Like, yeah, you're right. I mean, he's so sweet and lovely, though. So it's, he's such a contradiction to his in ring persona. But, Goro's got like those big arms and throws like the big knockouts. How many arms he got? Like four or six. Yeah. Four. Francis is so damaging with his fists. It's like a good metaphor for having like four or five or six arms. You know what I mean? Again, like for those that haven't seen it, get on YouTube. Francis Ngannou, Alexander Overeem. Just watch the knockout. And don't let your kids see it. And you'll get that. You know when you're a guy and someone talks about like, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say this, but you know, if they said to you, like, <laughs> imagine, imagine, like, you hear guys say, like, oh, my mate was on a building site and he dropped the drill and it went through his dick. You know, and then, 
you know, and you get that feeling like right in your balls and it makes you kind of squirm. Him knocking out Alexander over him, I remember it made me like hold my head to make sure it didn't come off. So the man can lay down some heat. Yes. Okay. So, Ash, you're our special guest this week. We love to do, love to do, I say it like we've been doing it for years, a week. <laughs> we have a segment called Championship Winning Moment. Now, this is inspired by The Last Dance, naturally. Would that be fair, As? Yeah, that's very fair. So, what we need from you is you are in a sport and you're going to tell us, we'll fire a few questions at you, but you're going to have to tell us, like, your sport and your championship winning moment. You've got to describe it to us. What's your kind of iconic play? You know, like the MJ push-off on Byron Russell dropping the mid-range to win the chip against Utah. The Stephen Bradbury, everyone falling over you winning the gold medal. Like, you've got to describe to us that iconic moment that, you know, Channel 7 plays on the highlights of sports and shit like that. And then Bruce Rex by overcommentating it. <laughs> Special. <laughs> Delicious. So you're going to do that. Then we're going to ask you about like the music that plays. Then we're going to get into like your life after your championship moment where you need to sort of like describe to us or, you know, explain who narrates your Last Dance documentary, um, whether your life spirals, derails, who knows, that's up to you. And then how you shamelessly market yourself, make money or try to cling on to your fame like years <laughs> after your career fades. Make sense? Yep. I think that sounds pretty good. As do you want to start? So the big one, what, what is the sport of choice? Well, I'm going to go something a bit different for this one. I have to say Formula One. Ooh. I, um, yeah, I'm very passionate about F1. Um, sadly of late, it actually it runs a bit later. On a, on a Sunday night, so it's hard to watch. But, um, yeah, I love motorsport. Okay, good. Got lots of questions about this. Yeah. This good. also helps because I've also watched the Netflix docker and it's great. That is a wonderful documentary. It's very well done. So, such so your F1 championship, is it you've won the most world championships of all time? Yeah, you've, explain you've, to us your yeah, last, yeah. like, moment. Or have you just won Melbourne? Well, I'm actually in the pit crew. I'm on the guy on the back left. <laughs> Redemption story. It's impressive work. A two and a half second pit stop. You know, that that takes skill. No, sorry. I'll be serious. I, I'll be, I'll be, obviously, <laughs> I'm a driver. Like little Ash, like the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I just want to be in the pit crew. It's always about the drivers. Like, what about the pit crew? What about the guy who's sitting there? Like, he knows when to push the button on that goddamn drill. Yeah, definitely a driver. Okay, go. So is this to, is this to break like an unassailable record for most world championships? Or is it literally just a great season, like a perfect season? Or I, one race? I... Honestly, would be happy with one. An Aussie winning a Formula One championship would be enough for me. Um, we've had a few Aussies around, but I mean, we can't even get an Aussie winning the home race. Mm. I, I obviously would. I have. I have. This is past tense. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, exactly. Tell us. Yeah, it was great. We're like aliens that have never seen any footage of sports in Earth. So we want you to describe it to us. So, yeah, so I grew up in Ballarat. I've had a few different cars over the years and I like to think I'm pretty handy behind the wheel. 
<laughs> Got a few moves. A lot of roundabouts in Ballarat, so I'm pretty good at the chicanes. There's a lot of country girls in Ballarat that have uh, heard the sweet dulcet tones of Ash's car and hollering out a window. <laughs> it's the kind of place where people know it's you because of your car. Oh, good. Which is interesting. When I moved to Melbourne, I that I found out that wasn't the case, so now I'm in a silver I-30. <laughs> <laughs> This is good for the doco, though. That's can, a great you, car for a pit crew member. <laughs> <laughs> so you, your season of winning, have you dominated or have you, you know, you, you've literally just wiped the floor or has it been like an absolute grind? You've done all these great like once-in-a-lifetime moves but every single race. Yeah. Well, the, the thing about Formula 1 is the way the point system works. If you dominate, um, you'll actually claim the championship, you know, five or six races out before the end. So... It's got to be a it's got to be a grand finale. It's got to be the last race. It's I mean the calendar's thrown on its head this year, but it's usually Abu Dhabi. Um, you know, there's big you know lights. It's a night race at the end, so you got to come into the last race knowing you've got a place. You got a place to win because it's points. So you've got to have a rival. Like driving is individual, so you just you've just got to have a rival from the other team. Who is your rival? What's his name? <laughs> What's his name? <laughs> <laughs> or her. Um, oh gosh, an actual person? Can't no, bring can a real. Who, I don't know. You tell us. Uh, we'll also take team. Is there a team that you'd just love to like absolutely stitch up? And you'd be on. Like, what's your team? Who are you with? I would. I would love to stitch up Mercedes. They've been too good for too long. I would. I. Growing up, I loved McLaren. So if I had a seat of McLaren, um, the Mika Hacken and David Coulthard days of McLaren. Yes, David Coulthard. What Great a jaw. jaw. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure his parents watched a lot of Roger Ramjet before he was born. What's the statistical average on every F1 driver having a stellar jaw? Well, interestingly enough, they do have, uh, they have to have very strong necks. The, the G-forces that get thrown around in those cars as they're cornering is, you know, quite extreme. And to actually train for it, they actually put these like, resistance bands around their heads and they have like someone pull on their head so it's just like just to strengthen their neck muscles and it's just simulating the cornering because it's easy for us on the lounge chair to watch but as those cars are cornering you know at 200 k's that's the g's it's like it, ma- it makes you sick so their their heads are just rolling around in that cockpit so they actually do have strong necks so you're telling me that none of them had a pre-jaw they had a post-jaw <laughs> yeah and you're also telling me that you didn't win your championship race after having a halal snack pack at 4 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> the day of the race. No, maybe not. They, uh, do, they do have to check your weight before and after the race. So I wouldn't be able to sneak an HSP into the, into the cockpit, unfortunately. Okay, so championship race. You're beating your rival. Uh, we didn't come up with a name, did we? Let's just call him Lewis. Lewis is still floating around. He'd be Lewis. Good. I feel like he'd be a good one to beat, wouldn't he? Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah, let's just throw me in there today, present All day. Right. So you're going, Hamilton's your rival. Last race of the season, it's close. So whoever wins, wins, basically. Yeah, I would, the fairy tale would be it is literally who wins the last race because the points are that close. All you have to do is, let's just say you have to just place in front of that guy. So you could finish seventh and eighth. Okay. But that's enough to win because... Interesting. That's just the way the point system works. So it would it would just it would sort of paint the picture or make set the scene for some really interesting tactics in the final race. 
because um, you've in F1 you've got a teammate, and they say there's no such thing as team orders, but it is a thing. So they usually the car out in front usually sort of gets the call of when to pit, or and they'll use the other driver to be, you know, the guinea pig for a different strategy or different tires. So they have all sorts of different tires um, that last different uh, distances and perform differently in corners. So there'd be so much sort of it'll be tactical warfare i think in the, okay. in the final race and i'd love it for my my pit crew to say all right box box means come into the pits and i'd be just like no i'm staying out oh, oh good you know, that's great the, for the docker running the gauntlet on the tires like yeah like i don't i you know don't talk to me and <laughs> you'd be like <laughs> you switch off the headset is that what you <laughs> what's lewis doing what's lewis doing and you'd just be constantly checking him and you'd just stay out and it'd just be my call. It'd be my call. I'd push the tyres to the absolute limit. And the rest is history. I'd be like limping home on these balding rears. But, you know, the pit stop could have cost me. Yeah. So it was my call. It was my call to stay out. So, that, that, so really, the, in essence, that is the defining moment. Just yeah. the clip of you saying, yeah. like almost Luke Skywalker-esque, where you're like, what are you doing? Why have you got your, your navigation like yeah, you your system up, down? You it's like, up your don't worry, system. I know what I'm doing. That's, That's it. This is exactly it. Exactly it. Except I know Ash, when he's under pressure, he can get a little heated. So I feel like it would be a like, you need a box, Ash. Fuck you, I'm not doing it. Like, it would be, be so jacked up on like the pressure and the stress. Yeah, wow, it's all adrenaline, isn't it? So um, you fly across the finish line. You're the champion. How, what's your like celebratory like moment as you get out of the car? What do you do? Well, I'd probably still celebrate in the car by donuts. You got to do some donuts. The fans love it. Bringing the Ballarat back. It's like the one time the final race of the year is the one time they actually do let them, you know, go to town on the on the main straight. Yep. Ah, yeah, far out. Getting out of the car. I'd probably oh, you know, you got to you got to take the steering wheel off to get out. So I'd probably like. Give it a little kiss or something. Are you taking the piss? Are you like going for like a jog around the circuit? Well, I mean, I know it's a long circuit and you're probably cooked and you're fried because you've just done all this stuff and you want to be with your team. But I feel like if like you haven't just won the championship, you've just done like the incredible like bullshit move. So you're just like, lads, we're like, we're jogging. Like, that's it. We're going for it. Oh, I don't think I could do it. You'd be <laughs> like, yeah, it's hard to show emotion. I'm speaking like I've done it, but <laughs> I love it. You I get out of the car. Yeah, you're severely so dehydrated. You've got a helmet. You've got like a neck brace. <laughs> it actually takes a while to sort of get out and actually realize what's happened because there's so much adrenaline. Um, yeah, you think you see it's not really until you get to the um, so that usually the top three they go to a room just after the race and that's where they get rehydrated. They put their like first, second, third caps on. And they used to bring the camera crew in and the cameraman just sits there and records the banter between the drivers. Sometimes they argue, sometimes they go, hmm, good race. Oh, you're, you had an interesting tyre strategy. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's really interesting to hear. Um, but that, I think that's when the, the joy and the emotion comes out. They start to realise that they've actually won. Um, it's all, it all happens very quickly. Usher you straight upstairs onto the podium. Yep. And before you know it, you've got a trophy, you're covered in champagne. And I think that's the moment where it's just like, We've done it. And it's not just for you, it's for the team as well. Um, even if they make stupid calls, 
about boxing at the wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> what I love is how like genuine and humble Ash is with all of this. <laughs> like, if that was me, then I would just be going, fuck you, you suck, kiss my ass. You don't even belong on this podium. It's, it's cut to me in the green room just like, remember that time you fucking sucked? <laughs> 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 It'd just be erupting. I'd be pouring champagne on like all the pit girls. <laughs> just so terrible. Okay, so you okay. win. Right. What music is playing on the TV credits as they're showing the slow-mo fade-outs to end the broadcast of your championship victory? I was just thinking of this earlier and I've got to go with Cashmere, which is a Led Zeppelin classic. Ooh, absolute tune. It Great it tune. Just, there's no build-up. It just starts. It's just instantly epic. Yeah. And it's just that slow-mo. I can just see a slow-mo sort of montage of me walking off, you know, up the up the main straight, the sun setting, and it's just a silhouette of me in my driving suit holding my <laughs> helmet next to me. F1, and just taking a taking F1's a, the king of slow-mo too. Mm. Like they own slow-mo and they absolutely just embrace it. Okay, so that's your, your moment. Good slow-mo, cashmere's buzzing. All right, years later, a documentary crew comes to you and says, we want to make a doco about your victory. Who's narrating your documentary? Oh, that's a good one. Um, a serious candidate would be Mark Webber. Oh, yeah. Yeah, keeping it in the um, racing family. Yeah, I've got a lot of respect for him. He was my, uh, yeah, my favourite driver for those years that he was at Red Bull. Um, he got so close um, and he's a good ambassador for the sport and just a good Aussie bloke. Um, yeah, so that would be my serious candidate. I don't know if you want something like really far-fetched. Give us something juicy as well, just in case Mark Webber's not available. <laughs> <laughs> scheduling conflict? Yeah, scheduling conflict. It'd be interesting to pick someone that actually like loathes motorsport or the burning of fuel or something. So maybe like a Greta Thunberg. <laughs> <laughs> Could be an interesting option. The outtakes of your docker of her recording her parts is her just getting angry. Like, I should not have to use my childhood to do this recording. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, look, let's stick with Mark Webber. Okay. That is good. So, I was going to say, the other question we like is about your sports ads during it. Yeah. I feel, I kind of feel like it's a bit of a trick because F1 is like the king of premium advertising. Yeah. Who, like, if you're not, Flogging tag or Omega watches yeah, and you're Swiss multivitamins driver. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You're a failure. Yeah. Um, so take us on, like, this is your, up to the last race, they've built like the primo ad for you. Like, wh- what's, take us on the journey. All right. All right. I'll have to come up with this on the fly. Um, so interestingly, at the moment, um, Nico Rosberg is a retired Formula One driver and he's doing Heineken ads for the zero alcohol Heineken. He's like, you know, when you drink, you know, you know, don't drive or whatever. He's like, no, thanks. I'm driving, blah, 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 blah. So I'd probably, I'd probably ham up the alcohol, the beer ads, but the actual alcohol ones. <laughs> like doing the kind of, yeah, like the high end, like Tanqueray gin, those kind of ads. Just yeah. something that's like completely like an untapped market for an F1 driver. Mm. But it's something you can't, obviously you can't drink and drive, but it's like. But you can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm a I'm a driver. I'm a pure raw driver. Yeah. Um and it's you know, it's all very cliche to get into like, oh yeah, I'm 
you know, if I'm driving for McLaren, oh, I'm driving a, a McLaren road car and I'm advertising the tires and stuff like that. But yeah, be interesting to do something different. Maybe you could even advertise a learner driving school or something, just something really stupid like that. Yeah, I can see because Ash is such a good egg. I could see Ash doing like, unlike myself, who just do shameless dodgy shit to make money. <laughs> I can see Ash doing the kind of like having that kind of brand where it's just all wholesome good stuff. Like Ash is opening hospitals and like community announcements. Like whenever there's like a politician doing something, Ash is somehow involved in, you know, like the charitable group that's like... <laughs> co-sponsoring this and he's there talking i can see you doing that kind of stuff it's just driving around in my f1 just down the street pulling up at the milk bar oh hey guys yeah yeah exactly like little sick kids and like hey ash do a burnout for the kiddies (laughs) (laughs) oh it's so true isn't it so that so so your life then as you get older you age well no hiccups you're just one of those all-around good guys I think I'm too clean. It yeah. might be boring, but it is what it is. Oh, we'll find skeletons in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> or create them. Yeah, we'll make them up. We'll fabricate them. Yeah. We'll wait until you've left and then we'll start recording a tale end <laughs> to the podcast where we'll tell the audience it's all a scam. So aside from the I-30 Hyundai Monument in Ballarat, <laughs> what, it, what is going to actually be... The lasting thing. What, what's your legacy that's left aside from goodwill and like probably being on a wheat bix box and all these niceties? Yeah. What's your big, you know, are they renaming Albert Park, Ash Park? You know, what are they doing? Yeah, I'll take that. Um, <laughs> I would, I would actually, I'm so humble. I would happily have a corner named after me, but it'd be an iconic corner because it would be. Because of a move I pulled yeah, in my yeah, so championship winning year. Yeah. This is where he sliced Hamilton during the Melbourne GP. That's right. Which like, set him up for his winning season. Just a like a really crucial move. Like not just a not just a dive bomb overtake, you know, break late. You know, that's whatever. But, you know, like an overtake on the outside. An outside overtake over four or five corners. And the one that the corner that I pulled it off would be like... Because that could be the championship. That's like yeah. the, the point swing corner. So would you want like, at about, say Ballarat, we're going home now. Would you want, you know, those kind of like the big pineapple or the big crayfish? Would you want like the big I-30 like next to Ballarat? <laughs> and it's based on your car that you used to humbly park with the pit crew before races. <laughs> um, there, is a, there is an arch in Ballarat already called the Arch of Victory. Ooh, Ash of Victory. So I could yeah. see I could see my mug on that. Bit of spray paint, change a few letters. What about you do something like you hire some non-reputable characters to go rip up the tarmac at the corner where you made your great move and then take that to Ballarat. Yeah. And put it in the, put it like in the roundabout, like a real flashback. This is one like three by three meter square pristine bit of tarmac that doesn't fit there or belong and everyone's like what's this doing here oh let me take you on a journey yeah still got like tire marks on it yeah yep yeah i love that That local hoons are coming about going you know can we get it can we flick it out as much as he can the ballarat city council would love that (laughs) (laughs) they'd like they changed the slogan of ballarat to like come stay enjoy the view smell the burnt rubber (laughs) since i left the main drag 
So growing up, it was always skylines and neons, you know, <laughs> fast and furious. <laughs> now, now this is the Paul Walker of Ballarat. Got, yeah, now they've got these little zones, so these 40k zones in the main city. So you actually drive over, it goes from 60 to 40, and they've got these little strips in the road. It's mm. like you're now entering like the 40 kilometer zone. Maybe that could be a legacy. You get the zones ripped up and the speed limit up to 100 on that strip. But I should probably be to also be like a road safety advocate. Be yeah, like on a lot true. of he put more strips in. <laughs> <laughs> Save your hoonin for the track. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can see that now. You could be the like the I think Vic Rhodes ambassador. Save your hooning for the track. That's a great ad campaign. Hey kids, it's me, Ash. <laughs> I know you like to drive fast, but there's a time and a place. So you just had the ho- you've had the wholesomest career of all time in yeah. F one. Like, yeah, I feel like you're disappointed in the wholesomeness of my career, but no, because I think it's uh, it's it's authentic. And like I said, we'll record something dodgy later. Gone, <laughs> <but> <laughs> yeah, like I, it'll come out that in like in twenty years, someone's well, gonna be, they're going to look back at footage and they'll be like. Was he using an iffy wing? Yeah, it turns out. Was he out. allowed to use that? And then they'll, they'll do like another, another doco and you're like, you know, suddenly you've, you've changed and you're like, look, I've never, you know, I didn't think much of it, but actually I stole that wing yeah. off another car. Turns out I had weapons. I was shooting nails into the, my opponent's rear tires. You'd never, you'd never see it. People or even just, better, like my time as a pit crew man, I knew that if we got the drill version 2.0, it would go like 0.9 seconds quicker. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was how we got them. But I still don't think it'd be Ash. I think it'd be some like scumbag, disgruntled crew member trying to like get dollars, you know, like get paid to do like TV. Oh, so it'd be like on a current affair? Yeah, it'd be like Ash, Ash would fall victim to those like piece of shits that are always looking for attention. Like, So it's me and you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mudslinging journalism from... <laughs> yeah. His, con- his whole career is getting potted in a dodgy like two-bit two by four podcast that was run out of someone's house. <laughs> yes. I'll get cancelled. Yeah. Squeaky clean. I don't think so. Here's why. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were always up to, those engineers are always up to little creative ways of getting extra power out of the car. They've gone down to V6s now. So maybe it came out 10 years later that I had two hidden cylinders somewhere else and I was running a V8 the whole time. <laughs> I love it. All right. Ash, thank you very much for sharing your championship moment. Oh, just quickly, what's your documentary called? Not The Last Dance. What would it be called? How about The Last Lap? The Last Lap. Oh, that's good. Can't top that. All right, Ash, thanks for joining us. Thanks heaps for having me. It was uh, an honor. It was had a heaps of, heaps of fun with you guys. As I hope you had fun. You too, man. Thanks again, Ash. All right. For those of you, thank you very much for listening. Uh, as always, you can find us at thesidelines.space or Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We appreciate it and we'll see you next time. Thank you.